WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the WPTF Weekend Gardener. Mike Riley here, and Rufus Edmonston, the former Attorney General and Secretary of State, is with us. Good morning, Brother Rufus. Are you there? Well, hello, Mike, and, and those out there in Radio Land. I'm here with one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. Phil Campbell. That's right. And, and Paul McKenzie, you know, he he is a expert, but is a down-to-earth guy who's got good sense. That's yeah. right, in, in, uh, at least when he's in Vance and, and Warren County. You're very kind, Rufus. That is yeah, high praise you. Nice. from you. Thank and then you. the Grand Poobah. Uh, no, no. Mike Rayleigh <laughs> yes, is I'm the, the Grand Poobah. I'm the lowest of the low is, <laughs> is what I am, always have been. But morning to all of y'all. We, uh, we're in kind of a different location. We're at the, the Revered Graham Building. The sod father. We always. Oh my, I miss him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but we're here for the man expo, so we brought a woman with us. <laughs> I think that's fitting. The token yeah. female. Yeah, yeah. Miss Ann's, uh, I believe, still at the beach. Oh so, man, uh, she gonna spend all summer there. Now, to all the women, it's very intriguing. Uh, there's some there's some sights to see here. You've already perused. <laughs> You've already perused the, the, Phil and uh, I have perused. the perimeter. Yes. <laughs> We've gone about as far as we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and you ain't seen nothing yet. So we <laughs> probably not. we got to go into the bowels of this place to, to really to really see everything that's going on. Well, we're definitely going to get people to come out. <laughs> Country Squire down there. Now, there you, there's a restaurant somewhere down east. No, close to Kenansville. Yeah. That, One of the yeah, greatest things right. in the world, and Fancy I remember. restaurant sitting out, out yeah. uh, you know, in that uh, well, it, rural they, area. Well, it used to be, I, I remember years ago when you'd go there, they had this huge, oh, it was something like a 28-ounce steak, and if you could eat it, you could have it. Yeah. And so That's, I saw uh, a big, big fat one there one night, and he'd been sitting there two hours, and he got it down. Is he still with us? I don't know whether <laughs> Gus Kahoulis is with us or not. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's down in in um, Charlie Albertson country. Right, close. Yeah, yeah I've eaten a meal there with Charlie. Uh, I bet so. Okay, so. Uh, country Squire, great place. Nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. Nine one nine eight six zero WPTF. Talk a little gardening this morning with you and whatnot. That whatnot always comes up on this show, no matter what. So uh, we're in a good place for that. Uh, this morning at the Grand Building and the Man Expo. Come on out today. And uh, one of your favorite radio stations uh, from Curtis Media are here. We're not too far from the entrance uh, that that faces kind of northwest, I suppose, where uh, you can you know, the uh, the old Red Cross building side is, is where we are. And that's the main entrance of the building. So uh, we're not too far from there. If you go in and kind of move to your left, you'll um, start seeing our, our uh, tent area. 
919-860-9783. Gosh, there's so much blooming there. The uh, canta lilies are starting to bloom. I usually think of them as, as blooming later in the summer. Yeah. Am I wrong? I, yeah, you think of them um, actually coming along when it's very hot, maybe 1st of July or something like that. But um, And it does take the, the bulbs a while to sprout up. And the ground has to get warm, but I think the ground's definitely gotten warm now. But, yeah. you know, there's... Uh, there's the canna lilies, and then there's the canna lilies. Um, Calla and the canna. Well, and, but, and both both are blooming now, at least in my neighborhood. Right. But then there's the canna lilies that they've come out with in the last few years that are actually um, seed, um, seed grown. Are they the so, ones that are blooming now, probably? Well, or prob- you're probably seeing more of those. Okay. Um, so if you wanted to see one, they're, um, they came and got some plants from the nursery to put around the pond back here uh-huh. uh, in the building, and uh, I just noticed that they, they picked a, a canna lily. So, yeah, they're, uh, they're some really nice ones, and they, they start blooming very early. I did not realize that. So yeah. I'm, see, I learn something every time I'm on the show. Do you have any of those early blooming uh, canna lilies? Oh, absolutely. It's the old-fashioned kind, and uh, I have one that's striped. Right. It's a variegated with a big yellow bloom on it, and it's much shorter than the tall ones, but I think they're just a great. <laughs> much shorter than the tall ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, Is there some kind of a, it's a, a real quandary? A quandary in that. <laughs> and and one of one of the pests to watch out for on the on the canna is the canna leaf roller. Right. Which is a little caterpillar. That's a, that's it's a, a common, leaf you could roll up in. <laughs> it's, right. it's it's a common. It's a little caterpillar. Well, there's a greater canna leaf roller and a lesser canna leaf roller. Uh-oh. But but they're you know they they kind of do the same thing. Um, so if you kind of notice the leaves getting chewed on and, and the leaves like not unfolding, um, that may indicate that you have that. And a good strategy to manage that, if memory serves, is just to do a really good job of cleaning up that dead foliage at the end of the season and getting it out of the garden. Um, but I believe you can treat it uh, if you see it this season um, with, you know, just about anything that's going to get a caterpillar. It, but you, you gotta, you probably need to spray it from above going down into, you know, where the leaf is unrolling to try to get it. It's get the neatest controlled. thing. Yeah, they they make their little holes in a straight line. Have you noticed that? I haven't. On the yeah. ones at the nursery, it's it's not all of them, but you can see them. They they line their holes up. So apparently, when it's rolled, they get in there and chew, and they're they're just like somebody took a hole puncher mm-hmm. and punched holes in the oh, leaves. Oh yeah! Wow. So it's uh, it's so. I mean, it's really neat. But if if they're kind of slow to bloom or not blooming yep. very well, and the 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 foliage looks kind of unthrifty. Um, that's probably what you're seeing. And what do we spray them with if we want to spray? I, I think you could probably just use Dipel, you know, one of the one of the BTs, uh, yeah, which so is uh, the see. the Bacillus thuringiensis, and there's other brands, Worm Whipper and Thursid. Which is a bacteria. Yeah, it, well, yeah, well, it's not, based on a bacteria. Not a cold or anything. Right, right. Um, <laughs> very, uh, very safe, considered organic if you're going that route. So I wonder if an oil-based spray would work. Do you smother those little babies like? New aphids and things like that. I don't know that that would work very well. Um, I, I'd probably go with one of the BT products, right? Because they're all wrapped up. 
The oil wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't get to them? Right. Well, and, and you do have to get that spray down where they are, too. So yeah. um, once once they're wrapped up in there pretty good, it's hard to, hard to get to them. Very good. Okay. Well, I, I was interested in that. Uh, it's it's good to have things blooming. There are just so many more things blooming now than we used to have uh, when I was growing up, and and all through the years. It's just things have advanced so much in gardening. I have a spectacular oak leaf hydrangea, and I don't know how you can beat those. Mm-hmm. Are there other colors besides white, Phil? I haven't seen any. Not in an oak leaf. Yeah, I mean, they just, there's some that kind of turn pinky. Yeah, they turn pink, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they're not, they're not like white, white, like the, like the native one. (laughs) Gotta use your microphone. Hey, yeah. I'll put them You've been on the show and. (laughs) Well, I was talking to Rufus. I know. We were just, we just sitting around talking here. We were just having a conversation. There's nobody else around, so we were just sitting here talking. Excuse us, we're just talking among ourselves. Sorry about that. Um, but, um, yeah, I like the one. It looks like a little strawberry kind of color. Like, but um, the old ones, the, I just remember those so much because they were down in the in the cemetery at, at our old home place down in mm-hmm. Hornet County. And I remember those when I was really small. They, it was just so neat to see all of them blooming. And it, you just mentioned everywhere. something that I recall from growing up in the mountains. In the private cemeteries, like we had the Edmondson Cemetery, you would always have what we called a snowball, mm-hmm. which I assume was a high, uh, hydrangea PG, uh, or or I it could have been. Isn't there a snowball viburnum? Could could be the viburnum. I don't know. Where, I, we just called it a snowball, and that that was a, a custom to plant in in one corner of the graveyard, hmm. one of those snowballs. Yep, and that same. That's the same with, the, and they had a magnolia. Uh, one of our one corner of the cemetery had a ma- big magnolia in it, and and I mean it was just beautiful in there. Yeah. So, you yeah. know we have uh, we're going to have to get away from talking about this and talk about uh, something important like tomatoes because we have the king of tomatoes, Craig Lahoulier, is on the line with us from uh, Western North Carolina. Morning to you, Craig. Good morning, everyone from beautiful Hendersonville. Yeah, y'all have uh, y'all have it much blooming up there right now, so that the uh, hydrangeas or, or anything blooming. Yeah, oh, tons blooming. Daylilies, hydrangeas are just coming out uh, in the woods. We've got the mountain laurel and rhododendrons are starting to pop, and uh, you know it's pretty spectacular. I'm sitting out on my deck, and it's 55 degrees and uh, refreshing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, it wasn't. It was uh, low sixties yeah. this morning, and yeah. it, it it felt felt nice and refreshing for a change. It's been kind of a warm week here. Yeah, and uh, so uh, what um, what's the latest on the tomato front? Oh gosh, um, I'm starting to downsize my garden, so I'm down from 109 plants to 50. Um, just because it, you know, each time you tack a year on the calendar, it becomes a lot more work to plant over 100 <laughs> plants. And uh, stopped selling seedlings for the first time in over 20 years. So just trying to carve out more time to get out on the trails at uh, DuPont and the Pisgah National Forest and uh, just enjoy everything that this area has to offer. Well, we can now call you Craig the Killer. You've killed off 50. 
<laughs> and, and still, I, I've, I've always been, I've, I was talking to you when one time we were at Bree Arthur's place. Yes, yes. And uh, that was that was the hottest day I remember in my life. We, we were auctioning off things, and I was an auctioneer. But it was All so that mayonnaise hot. and white oh, love that mayonnaise. <laughs> but most of the tomatoes there were were something that you had come up with. And I've always said, okay, what is his favorite tomato? Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, Sun Gold, the little orange cherry tomato, and is a hybrid, is still maybe the best-tasting tomato I've ever had. And I've grown and tasted over 4,000 varieties at this point in my 40 years of gardening, but it's hard to beat Sun Gold. And Cherokee Purple is in the top three, and Yellow Heirloom is in the top three. So those... Those three what was are the other ones one? that I have in my garden all the time. What was the third one? Lillian's Yellow Heirloom. It's a variety that was sent to me in 1990 from a fellow in uh, New York who got it from an elderly woman in Tennessee. Uh, and it's, it's just spectacular. Uh, potato leaf foliage, lemon yellow fruit, a pound to a pound and a quarter. Quite rare. Um, but anybody who thinks yellow tomatoes are bland or mild... Um, should take a bite of a Lillian's yellow. It would completely change their mind. Phil just wrote it down. She's going to try and get some <laughs> get, get some plants to sell. Yeah, hey. I'll talk to some of the guys down Great. Here. Well, if you need any seeds, you know, I, I, I'm kind of seed source to the world right now. I, I do a lot of seed saving. And oh, okay. Most of, what, most of what I do at this time of year is answer gardening questions by email and send people seeds to try. So, uh, oh, okay. you know, just That's pop great. me an email and I'll send you some. You have a great uh, website, uh uh, Craig, so uh, people should take advantage of that. Uh, of course, uh, your books are available. Like Epic Tomatoes is uh, the most famous, and you can get it signed there. That's the definitive yeah. reference it is. for tomatoes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I, I just feel awful lucky that I was asked to write it, and it, 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 just, it was such a relief to be able to download all of that tomato experience into pages. So, you know, if people enjoy it, it's very gratifying. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm still, still working on book number three, but it's too pretty around here, so I can't <laughs> lock myself down to a laptop and type the words. <laughs> well, you know, you, you mentioned the sun gold as your favorite, yes. and that's really good news for, for home growers because that's probably the easiest one to grow. It is. I love sun gold. It's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. It's kind of like a tomato weed, meaning it uh, it misbehaves, it grows everywhere, um, diseases don't seem to affect it. But, you know, people take a bite of that. And I think I said this before on the show that I wish I had a, a catalog of pictures of everybody's faces when they take their first bite of that tomato because it is pure, unadulterated joy. It's pretty hard to make <laughs> sandwiches with it, though. Well, oh. if you're meticulous, you can do it. You know, you don't have to make uh, a big sandwich. But, you know, it's... It, it's always a bit of a challenge growing tomatoes. They're, they're not the hardest crop. They're not the easiest crop. Um, I think of them like the vegetable version of roses and that everything, every disease and every critter seems to want to go at them. But if you stick with it, you can have really good success. Well, what, uh, you know, we have a lot of problems with Granville wilt and, and other diseases yep. in this area, as you know. What are some tricks mm-hmm. that we can use uh, from year to year that, that might help us have a good crop. 
Sure. Well, I, I think if you're growing in the ground, making sure your drainage is, is really good. Um, tomato roots do not like to sit in water. So some of that heavy clay soil really does stress the plants. And when a tomato plant is stressed, it, it is more vulnerable to disease. Mulching around the base with grass clippings or shredded leaves just to keep that dirt from splashing on on the foliage, giving it good spacing, uh, regular water feeding. Um, and if you have problems with wilt in the ground, consider straw bale gardening, consider container gardening, uh, build a raised bed where you're putting fresh um, planting medium in. Uh, because when you get something like a bacterial wilt, granville wilt, verticillium, or fusarium, that means that area of the garden is not going to grow tomatoes well for at least three to five years. You have to rotate away from that. So. Thank goodness that tomatoes t- um, take so well to alternate forms of growing, and that often is the solution for people. Uh, I, we tend to overwater everything. Uh, what about watering tomatoes? Uh, do, sure. Often... Well, if you're in the ground, they don't need you don't need to water as often, and, and frequently the big gully buster thunderstorms that roll through are enough to keep them watered pretty much um, until you hit those spells where. It just doesn't seem to want to rain, and then you want to water. Uh, with straw bales and containers where you're above the ground and you've got excellent drainage, you, you've got the opposite issue where you cannot, you literally can't overwater them because anything the plant doesn't need will just uh, wash out the bottom. But you can underwater them, and so that's the invitation to many tomato growers bane, blossom end rot, when you, it looks like the tomato's ripening up and you get the knife ready to cut it and you turn it over and there's that big brown blotch on the bottom. That really is from stress from uh, when the plants wilt, when you've got little green fruit on it, where the, the roots can't take up the calcium needed to create healthy fruit. So um, don't worry about overwatering if you're in containers and straw bales, and do watch overwatering if you're in the ground or a raised bed. Um, it, it really depends on what's under, what you can't see, and how well it drains under there. Uh, but don't. Greg, I've, I've had to go little. totally <laughs> container because if I have a mm-hmm. small space that I've used, been there 40 years, and so all container, mm-hmm. and I. I try to water a little, a little bit every other day, especially with this hot weather. How often mm-hmm. would you do a little, a little fertilizer? So what I'm, what I do with containers actually, and, and here in Hendersonville, we, in Raleigh, of course, uh, the year I moved out, we had seventy days over ninety degrees, uh, and last year we had one day at ninety degrees, and everything else was in the eighties. But even given that, I, I was watering my containers and my straw bales daily and feeding the plants weekly because all of that uh, watering to keep the plants healthy causes the plant food to leach away from the roots a little bit quicker when you're in containers of straw bales. So I just use an all-purpose mixed-up tablespoon per gallon. Um, it turns the water a little bit blue and give each plant about a cup of, of that solution weekly, and it really... Uh, keeps the plants healthy. Last year, I was picking 50 pounds of tomatoes a day for a month and a half, and uh, tomato harvest has never frightened me before, and last year I was frightened. But they seemed, you know, when you've got all these things sitting on your tables and the fruit flies are starting to visit. Um, but adequate, I think a lot of gardeners underfeed and underwater because they don't want to do the opposite. But tomatoes are one of those crops that really respond well to being well-fed and 
uh, well hydrated. So those there's just some of the tips I would come up with for the and, and look at your plants daily and find those little yellow areas on the leaves where you've got speckles. That's usually a fungal disease, and look for the chewing insects, the the worms and the stink bugs, and just get those off the plant. Um, so, you know, live with your plants, understand what they look like when they're happy, understand what they look like when they're starting to be unhappy, and uh, just act on that, and you should have a pretty good crop. All right. Craig Lahoulier is with us uh, on the WPTF Weekend Gardener just until 9 o'clock. If you have tomato questions, give us a call, 919-860-9783. More of the Weekend Gardener coming up from the Man Expo at the Graham Building at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds. Let's get back to the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. 8.35, we're at the Man Expo at the Graham Building at the North Carolina State Fairgrounds. Mike Rayleigh here, along with uh, my friend Rufus Edmonston. Phil Campbell is here. Of course, she's on the phone now, always on the phone, cutting deals. Uh, Paul McKenzie <laughs> is with <laughs> don't Don't choke me. Paul McKenzie is with us from the Warren and uh, Vance County Extension Services, and uh, we're glad to have all in. Of course, Craig LaHoulier was nice enough to uh, join us this morning until 9 o'clock, talk tomatoes. And uh, so, Craig, uh, now, Paul, you had, you had uh, yeah, a question Yeah, I got a, I got a question break. for Craig. Um, you know, one of the things I recommend as an extension agent is just the importance of rotation. You know, when folks are growing tomatoes and other crops in the ground, um, if they have the space to be able to, you know, move things to a different location in the garden each year. Um, so if folks are in that situation, you know, what would be kind of your, your minimum uh, number of years between tomato crops in the same location, and, and what, what do you think would be ideal? Sure. Uh, great question. And what I, what I tend to advise people on this is if, they're seeing really good performance with their tomatoes. They can stick with it for a few years, but it is inevitable that something will start bothering them. And typically it's a fusarium wilt that will move in. And that shows itself when a plant just visibly wilts, even after watered, and then the leaves start turning bright yellow. That is when it's time to, to move the tomatoes into a different area. I think um, three years is probably the maximum, particularly in a warm area where there are uh, a lot more plant stress and a lot more plant disease. And the other thing um, that's a really um, clever idea, though, is if that's the best place in your yard to grow tomatoes, then you could always put some fabric down and put containers on top of the fabric or straw bales so you can take advantage of that great location, but you're preventing the roots um, from going into that soil that, that may be a bit diseased. So there's lots of different strategies. You know, if you've got lots of space, certainly put beans or squash or some non-tomato family crop in that area, give it a rest for a few years, and then you can come back. But if you must use that area, use containers and straw bales and just prevent the roots from getting in. And I think uh, that leaves a lot of flexibility for gardeners to do what they need to do. And, and would you... Would you agree that, um, you know, lots of organic, if you are growing in the ground again, a raised bed or, Mm. you know, just kind of a traditional garden, the more organic matter you can get into the garden, 
uh, the the lower your risk of of disease? Yeah, um, the organic matter makes for healthier plants. Um, You'll have less stress plants. You'll have less attacks by the various diseases. So compost, compost, compost. um, You know, in shredded leaves, a lot of times... <clears throat> towns will have a composting program, and you can you can work that in. But organic material is is just the magic of success with gardening. So, absolutely right. Well, Craig, uh, along with the rotation, would the same principle apply to one that uses pots, uh, uh, reusing the soil? I, I've done some some in the same pot soil for four or five years. And seem to have had good luck. Yeah. Um, so what I learned is from doing a lot of container gardening is that becomes the most expensive part of your garden. If you're buying high-quality soilless mix and composted cow manure and things like that. And knowing that tomatoes are so sensitive to disease, when I wrote Epic Tomatoes, I actually suggested people start fresh. But then I started watching the behavior of my plants. And if they're doing well in that mix... I'm actually just leaving them outside, letting them go through the elements. Usually, if you have a, a 5 or 10-gallon container that's almost full at the beginning of the year, after all that watering, it will compress down to about half anyway. And if the plants did well in it, I'll, I'll, my advice is to top that up with fresh planting mix. Uh, put your plant in, start feeding, because all of the nutrients will have leached out over the winter. And don't toss your uh, the material in your containers unless you have a plant growing that has a real serious problem, in which case you would not want to use that um, soil on any tomato family crops. But you certainly could spread it around a flower bed or an herb bed or, or things like that. So, you know, I'm always I'm cognizant of how expensive materials are to garden. And I have this thought that gardening should not be something that costs us a fortune. So and I'm that's... always thinking of ways to be more efficient with, with how we garden and use our materials. And uh, that's actually, we had Gerald Adams come and speak to our Master Gardener Volunteer Program one time, and, and uh-huh. he made the same recommendation was that you could actually yeah. use the the same yeah. uh, container mix for, for yeah. I, I don't know, I don't remember what the exact number was, but two or three seasons at least. And that, that surprised me, sure. but I'm sure not going to argue with, with either you or Gerald Adams on that recommendation. So that's terrific. Yeah, well... You know, I was thinking over the break of one more really critical tip for people uh, wanting to grow um, the real big tomatoes, the mortgage lifters and the German Johnsons. Heat is their enemy for fruit setting. So once you get over 90 degrees for extended periods, especially when the humidity is high, you see those plants flower and then the flowers shrivel up and drop off. And that is just a characteristic of large fruited varieties in hot climates. So my suggestion is to go out in the morning, and when you see those flowers open, just gently flick them with your finger. If you've got an electric toothbrush, just touch it, touch it to the stem that attaches that blossom cluster. That helps the pollen to move from the anthers to the pistil and will help pollination and prevent some of that blossom drop. So I know that when I was gardening in Raleigh those 28 years, I was often frustrated on the effect of really hot temperatures on my yields and just that daily or twice daily flicking and be gentle. You don't want to flick the flowers right off the plant. You just want to vibrate them to the point where the pollen moves a little bit under those hot, uh, in those hot days. Or Rufus, you could, uh, you could do a symbolic <laughs> dance 
around <laughs> around the pots. That would hey, vibrate. Maybe, to yeah, maybe extent. a beach music shag. <laughs> maybe maybe yeah, that would. We could get Big John to come do the the, <laughs> the, the DJ. Would that work, uh, Craig? Uh, yeah, dance yeah, around the pots. Yeah, very high bass music with that woofer. <laughs> like sometimes those cars pull up next yeah. to you and shake your whole car. Okay. Get that out there. That will vibrate those There blocks. you go, Rufus. <laughs> Something else for your neighbors to talk about. I can just imagine somebody seeing me out there with an electric toothbrush and said, well, that's the last straw for Edmonton. It really, it really hit him. Out there trying to brush the teeth just, of a tomato plant. Well, let me just say that when I was out there uh, collecting pollen to do some of the hybridizations with the... Uh, a um, something that was going in the morning. My neighbors would wonder for my uh, mental health. I think so. They, they get to see <laughs> all kinds of crazy things out there in the garden, and uh, they're probably relieved I moved away. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about uh, the grafted tomatoes, Craig, and uh, like how widely sure. available are those in the trade, and and when when would they be yeah. a good uh, good recommendation for folks? I don't know if I've ever heard of yeah. that before. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so grafting tomatoes is about maybe 15 or 20 years, and it's be- it is becoming more widely grown. I think it hasn't exploded in popularity because of the additional cost. And there's also a, um, a specificity and, and a level of knowledge needed. So uh, the principle of it is there are certain tomato rootstocks that resist specific diseases. For example, you have a rootstock that is very resistant to fusarium, et cetera, et cetera. And so you take the, the heirlooms, such as a Cherokee purple or a German Johnson or a variety that may be a little more disease susceptible, you, t- you grow the rootstock and then cut it off, and then you graft the heirloom top onto that uh, rootstock, just the same as when, you, when you're doing roses and apple trees. And that's the plant you sell. So the extra cost is because of the, the labor involved in doing the graft. The key is you need to know what disease is bothering you in your soil and getting a rootstock that will protect against that disease. And the other key is then if you plant that plant too low and the top starts rooting, then the rootstock will make no difference at all because the disease will just come in through the roots in the top part. So just like with shrubs and flowers, you need to plant it so the union is above the soil and that top never gets to touch the soil and start rooting itself. Doing that, um, you can have some really good success. And from the literature I've read, it's people not being as knowledgeable, knowledgeable about what their diseases are. So they're picking the wrong rootstock to protect or they're planting them too deep and not getting the benefit of the rootstock. So um, I think it's well worth a check, it's, um, but I think it really is then a trip to the extension service to have your soil analyzed for the specific disease that, or diseases that are affecting your plants, and then finding a graft with a rootstock that will actually work. But you know, amazing idea, I think uh, potentially very effective, and I think it's all being worked out to see how uh, much it will catch on uh, through the gardening community. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, um, you know, tapping into your extension office for the disease diagnosis, um, and especially for folks that have a problematic bed or, or problematic garden area, yeah. uh, bringing us a plant sample during the growing season. 
uh, we can send that to our plant pathologist and entomologist at NC State and figure out exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, there's like a $20 fee for that service, whereas, whereas you know, the, the just standard soil sample through the Department of Ag is free. But uh, if you're doing a disease analysis, right. um, but it could be worth it for somebody that really wants to grow good tomatoes and, and they're having, you know, ongoing problems in a particular bed. Yeah, I mean, tomato diseases, there are multiple viral, bacterial, and fungal diseases, and you toss nematodes into the mix. And one of the hardest things to do is to have somebody email you a picture and say, here's a leaf of my plant, what's wrong with it? Because some of these diseases mimic each other, uh, you know, septoria versus early blight. Sometimes they look similar, sometimes different, sometimes bacterial canker can look just like early blight. So you're absolutely right. There is nothing like getting an expert analysis of exactly what's going on with your plant that will help you be a better gardener because then you'll know, do I need to change my varieties? Do I need to change my location? So thanks for bringing that up. Uh, again, uh, thanks both ways, I guess, that uh, your extension agent is your friend. Knowledge yes. is your friend when you're gardening, for sure. All right, we're uh, at the Man Expo at the Graham Building at the North Carolina State fairgrounds uh more coming up craig will be with us only until nine you know it's amazing the amount of wildlife we have here in the triangle area and the damage they can do is equally amazing that's why so many folks in our area depend on i must garden repellents to control animal damage if you have deer or rabbits eating your plants squirrels digging in your flower pots moles and voles tunneling through your lawn i must garden has a solution for you iMoss Garden will protect your beautiful garden with natural repellents that are pleasantly scented, effective, and long-lasting. Every iMoss Garden repellent has been individually formulated to provide safe and effective protection. iMoss Garden blends natural ingredients with botanical oils to give you the most effective repellents on the market that are easy to use and don't have to be reapplied after every rain. The repellents are available in a variety of sizes from ready-to-use spray bottles, cost-saving concentrates, and easy-to-use shaker jars. It's no wonder Imos Garden has become the favorite repellent for so many gardeners. You'll find Imos Garden repellents at your locally-owned independent garden center and hardware store, such as the Garden uh, Durham Garden Center and the Garden Hot in Fuqua Verena, of course, at Campbell Road Nursery. And while you're shopping, be sure to check out the other I must garden repellents for snakes, dogs, cats, mosquitoes, and more. Start protecting your garden today, and the repellent made right here in the triangle will do it. I must garden. For tips and more on getting rid of pests in your garden, visit imustgarden.com. More of the weekend gardener coming up. It's 8:49. You're listening to the longest-running gardening show on the radio. It's the WPTF Weekend Gardener with Mike, Ann, and Rufus. Okay, we're back at 8.51, and uh, Paul McKenzie's with us from the Vance and Warren County Extension Service, and uh, Phil Campbell, owner of Campbell Road Nursery, is here, and Craig LaHoulier from uh, the uh, Hendersonville area now, who lived in Raleigh for so long and uh, was a a chemist, has a doctorate in chemistry, I believe, Craig, and uh, certainly a different life for you now. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm loving it here. I so miss my Raleigh friends and 
the 20 years that we sold uh, plants at the farmer's market on Lake Wheeler were just, uh, on Lake Wheeler Road, was so much fun. And we got to introduce a lot of triangle area gardeners to tomato varieties and colors uh, that I don't think they could have imagined. So that was all pretty gratifying. And, uh, you know, it's strange. We've been here two and a half years now, and we've still not gotten back to Raleigh. So somehow that uh, Route 40 trip of four hours, I guess, is is expanded to 12 hours for us. <laughs> Either that or we've got too big a magnet here holding us holding us in Hendersonville. Um, but it's such a treat to, to be on the show, Mike, and I really appreciate uh, the invite. When this well, I'm, I'm so glad that we finally uh, got you on the show. I don't know why I didn't, didn't ask you sooner. You've been on for a few years now, but uh, you do a lot of speaking, uh, probably a lot of Zoom uh, the last couple of years, but you do a lot of speaking engagements too, don't you? Yeah, you know, once uh, COVID hit, I decided to retire from the road. So garden clubs all over the country have taken advantage of that, and I, and I have done Zooms. I think I'm doing one with a, an Orange County um, Master Gardener group. I've certainly done the Wake County group several times. So, uh, you know, if people are interested, it's uh, Zoom works pretty well. And what's happening is gardening groups are gathering in a conference room, and they can project me and my slides on the screen so it's kind of almost like i'm I'm there i'm there with them and uh that's pretty much what what i've decided i love best is just taking the 40 years the things i've learned over 40 years and just sharing them with people and my audiences teach me just as much Uh, gardening is wonderful like that and there's always something new to learn and always something new to share uh, you can you can find epic tomatoes uh, in any bookstore and uh, you know all, online and of course at uh, Craig's uh, website and also growing vegetables in straw bales and uh, that's that's something else you have in, in common with uh, with Gerald Adams he he introduced us to that uh, several years well I, when we met him he had straw bales at uh, the governor's mansion yeah. out there so that's yeah. it's really works for gardeners. It does. Uh, the only slight risk in it is if you're unlucky enough to get a straw bale where there's persistent herbicides in it. But in, in all my years of doing it, and maybe the 120 bales that I've purchased, I've had uh, two straw bales that have actually killed my plant. So two out of 120, that, and they came from a big box store. So if you stick with a small local nursery, um, they seem to source them very, very well, and the bales have been high quality. You know, the other thing to mention is now every Thursday at 3, I'm live on Instagram for my garden, and I'm on for 45 minutes and take people on a tour, and then I take questions for about a half hour. So if anybody's an Instagrammer, I'm at NC Tomato Man, and they can just find me sitting out in my yard, often with a dog in my lap, or them running around my straw bales every Thursday at 3 o'clock. Rufus, you ought to uh, do the same thing. You ought to pick a time and and uh, you take people on a tour of your garden and sit out there and and talk about gardening. Yeah, and and if, you want. if they'll let me smoke a cigar, Craig. <laughs> and by the way, yeah, I, I, you I, could you could do that. You're sitting in your own yard. Well, yeah, I I love the idea that you love the mountains. I'm from Boone, and you're making uh-huh. you're making me long to get back to Boone. And now, right now, they would just be planting their tomatoes in Boone. Isn't that about what you're doing there now? My daughter actually um, is now in Boone, and they absolutely love it there. Uh, We actually, 
So I direct seeded beans, squash, and cucumbers into my straw bales on April 15th, and the tomatoes went into the straw bales on May 1st. So I've got four-foot-tall plants covered with blossoms and just looking at the first few tomatoes that are set in the plant. So we, we were lucky. We didn't have any surprise late hard frost come in, and I rolled the dice and gambled and won, and I was able to get my things out a little yeah, bit well, earlier. He sure did. <laughs> Phil, Phil and I have a, a, a very strong feeling, don't plant tomatoes until after uh, until about the 1st of June. Well, yeah, between the 1st of May and the 1st of June, somewhere in there where it's convenient. We, you know, we planted ours um, this year. They look a lot better. We planted ours probably around the first week in May or mm-hmm. the second week in May. And, and the tomatoes are looking better this year than they have in the past. So I'm hopeful. Um, I'll have my fingers crossed for you because yep. nothing brings excitement like uh pondering that those first ripe tomatoes it, it just you know i've been doing like i said i've been gardening 40 years the excitement of anticipating those first tomatoes has not changed a bit in those right. entire 40 years of my gardening right i think that's the way it is with gardening anyway uh, whether it's flowers blooming or vegetables coming on the plants uh, it's it's great uh First thing, I, first thing I do in the morning is walk around the yard and just look at what's blooming, what's right. budding. It, it's just, it's absolutely thrilling. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I love for folks when they're looking for gardening uh, answers online to add NCSU to the end of their search term. <laughs> so, they get to, so they get to the extension resource. But your website, Craig, is excellent. So I, I really have to strongly recommend you've got some great videos and articles on your website all about tomatoes. And, and you are absolutely the tomato guru. Um, so definitely yeah. encourage yeah. folks to... Uh, I'm just a lucky guy. Well, yeah. you know, one thing I've... T- uh, if people have noticed since the beginning of the year, I used to do a tomato newsletter with Carolyn Mail back in the day in the early 90s. And they were sitting on my computer. I had transcribed them all, and I'm republishing them one article at a time, one per week. So if anyone wants to look back on what the heirloom tomato world was like in 1992 to 1994, I'm about half done. I think I've got one half of all of our issues, and it's going to take me until the end of the year. And then I'm taking people on a tour through my tomato seed collection, starting from the first one I purchased in 1986, why I purchased it, what its history is, how often I've grown it. So I'm finding blogging is a nice release that helps me to just um, talk about what I'm doing in the gardening world in between being out in the garden. So, you know, just craiglahulier.com slash blog, and that gets you there. And uh, your talk is at uh, 3 o'clock on Thursdays? Yep. My Instagram lives are Thursday at 3, unless I have a conflict and I would put a notice out on uh, the revised day. And people can look back on uh, the video page on my Instagram and find all of the ones that I've done the last uh, two or three years. So um, I, I left Facebook, I left Twitter, and I'm just finding Instagram a kinder, gentler, more um, nice place to be for sharing gardening information. Greg, thank you so much. We'll see if we can get you back this summer. Let's do it again. Just let me know anytime. Um, I look forward to these. It's so much fun and nice meeting all of you and have a wonderful day. All right, we'll be back here on WPTF's Weekend Gardener.